0: All right, let's open our Bibles to Job, the book of Job, chapter 34, and we're going to see a lot of Scripture tonight, so if you don't have a Bible in your lap now, you want to grab one as we get started. Job chapter 34 and verse number 29, I announced this morning that tonight I would give you a lesson about uh, what the Bible teaches about curses, generational curses, and this is going to... We're going to touch on witchcraft and all of that type of stuff. Now, I, um, I, I understand that this, this is a kind of lesson that aims a little bit more at your head, trying to give you some knowledge. Uh, what the Bible says about these things is it's not primarily going to be focused on your heart. I, I don't know. This morning, I, God, God did something so special in, I want to say my heart, but I don't want to sound selfish because I know he did something special in some other hearts as well. My goodness, my goodness, wasn't that something? It's very tempting. It's very tempting to just chuck this sermon outline, this, this lesson behind my back and do it again, right? Because you, you, when you sit down and just take a long look at the cross, it's hard to take your eyes off of it, right? I mean, there are other things in the Bible that you need to know about, and, and, and you do. You do need to have a well-rounded knowledge of the Word, and that's why we have these kinds of lessons But my goodness, generational curses and so forth, you folks understand that's not what we focus on around here. We don't teach on that stuff week in and week out. We want to keep our eyes on Christ. I'm going to do my level best to run us into the cross tonight. I want to end the lesson at the cross as best I can. But I also want to say several things about this topic so that we clear up any misunderstandings. So can I ask you to bow your heads along with me? Let's have a word of prayer and ask God to help us. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name tonight. We thank you once again, Lord, for going to the cross for us. Lord, that's the only reason we desire to look into anything the Bible has to say because of that amazing love. Oh, my goodness, Lord, that continues to pull at our hearts. Father, we desire tonight to, to learn. And you said that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. So, Lord, please give us ears to hear that we might hear what the Spirit has to say to the church tonight. Any confusion on this topic, Lord, might it all be cleared up tonight. I can't teach this without your help, Lord. Please, please, God. Please guide me to say only what needs to be said. And we ask for your presence and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, there's a danger in this lesson. As we're on the highway of talking about curses, there's lots of exit ramps that I can get off on. There's lots of potential bunny trails. Uh, We can start talking about false prophets. We can start talking about how people abuse the spiritual gifts. You can start talking about divination, the spirit of divination. We could get off into the subject of ancestor worship. There's a lot of different exit ramps, and I I, I want to try not to bunny trail too much. But you guys forgive me. There's just so much that needs to be said. I'm going to try to... Stick as close as I can to this topic, Uh, but if you guys have any questions about it, we'll see how the service goes. I might even let you ask at the end of the lesson, or you can find me privately and ask later. Job chapter 34 and verse 29, the Bible says, when he giveth quietness. Now, this is Elihu speaking, and Elihu is speaking about God. When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? So if God has put a hedge of protection about you, all is well. There's there's going to be peace around you. If God's given the quietness, well, then you're you're fine. You're set. Nobody can overthrow God's boundary there. And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Uh, This is one of those potential bunny trails. When God hides his face, do you realize that that is the worst punishment God can give to a living human being the only thing worse than that is you dying and going to hell but second to that punishment this is as bad as it gets when God hides his face when he hideth his face who then can behold him so if God doesn't want to be found you're not going to find him not through your natural means anyway He says at the end of verse 29, whether it be done against a nation or against a man only. Now, the reason I'm starting with this verse, we have to lay this groundwork. You have to see right from the beginning that when it comes to God blessing or cursing people, God deals differently with nations as compared to how he deals with individuals. You guys see that? There's there's one way that God will work with a nation... And then God can sometimes, instead of dealing with an entire group of people corporately, He can just deal with one man. Now, there are similarities, right? And and let's be honest, nations are made up of people, of individuals. So if God is busy punishing certain individuals within a nation, that is going to affect the nation. But there are some times that God can level a punishment, which is a curse, on a nation and... S- and people within that nation are going to be affected. Some of them are going to be guilty of the crimes that brought the punishment, some of them not. So you have to recognize right from the, from the get-go, you have to rightly divide between a nation and an individual. Because what you're going to see tonight, as it pertains to blessing and cursing, God works differently with nations and with, and with individuals. So, we're going to get to the nation and individual thing in just a moment. I want to answer a quick question, though, and this is a a scheduled exit ramp. What about a witch doctor? Can he curse you? Can the witch doctor put a curse on you? Now, for some of you, that's an easy answer. You just blow that off quickly and say, no, but you're answering that because of your culture, not because of your conviction. You, You probably can't prove it with the Bible, but you've never been afraid of that. But for others... It's something that they've grown up with and it's, it's very present in their minds. They're concerned about it. There is a precedent set in their culture for it. And they need more than just a, that stuff's not real. Yeah. What about the witch doctor? Can he bother you? Well, let's flip over to Numbers chapter 20, 22. Let me introduce you to a guy named Balaam. Numbers chapter 22. Now, when we say curse, you understand what we're talking about. A a curse is a punishment. When you pronounce a curse, you are pronouncing evil or destruction or punishment against someone. Does any individual have the ability to walk up to you, and this is the common phrase you hear in churches, speak death over you? That's another way of saying curse you. Okay, let's just call it what it is. Can they actually walk up and say, you're going to have bad luck now for the next five years, is there any power to their words? Absolutely not. And and that's why we're looking at these scriptures tonight. There's no need to fear what that person says, whether he is a Christian preacher or a witch doctor. And let's also be upfront about this. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Amen. Amen. Now, if you spent any time at all living amongst a, a culture where witch doctors are prevalent, and then you've lived amongst a, cult, a culture where this strange form of Christianity and their pastors, you know, pronouncing these blessings and cursings, you, you will see very quickly that there's hardly any difference. They are basically practicing witchcraft in the name of Jesus. It's quite scary. But what about this witch doctor? What can he do? Well, Numbers chapter 22, you have Balak, king of Moab. He is going to hire or try to hire Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. Verse number 6. Here's what Balak says to him. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them that I may drive them out of the land, for I wot, that means I know, for I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed and he whom thou cursest is cursed. You see what Balak thinks of Balaam. He thinks Balaam has the ability to bless and curse whoever he wants. That is Balak's view of Balaam. That is not God's view of Balaam. But that is how a heathen or a pagan man views this false prophet. Now, the Bible never does really put a, an, an official title on Balaam. Is he a false prophet? Well, yes, I think that would be fair enough. He is a diviner. I think just by what he does, you could classify him as that. Because of what's being asked of him, I think he would fit under the category of witch doctor. People go to witch doctors to ask for the same things. I don't have the power in myself to prevail over my enemies, so you give me positive juju so I can prevail. So verse 7, And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. So they're going to pay for this good juju. And they came into Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night. I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. Balaam is actually going to talk to God. Balaam is aware of a spiritual world. And he believes that he can actually go to God and get permission to do certain things. And he, he does. That is exactly what happens. He says, God, here's what's being asked of me. Will you give me power to do it? Verse 9, God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, not Zipper, Zippor, <laughs> king of... My- <laughs> But it's funner if it's zipper, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If he was the king of Zipper, that would be be outstanding. Anyway, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. God says, Balaam, you need not even ask. I have blessed these people. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Balak wants. You're not going to be able to curse these people. You cannot manipulate it. You cannot change the situation. They are blessed. Chapter 23, verse 7. So Balaam gives answer. Now, there's much more to this story. Obviously, skipping ahead a little bit, but Balaam says, no, Balak, I can't do it. Balak says, ask again. So, Balaam goes and asks again. He comes back in verse 7. He took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. Verse 8. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Learn something from Balaam. Here's a witch doctor telling you, I can't do anything God won't let me do. Do you see this? Yeah. Yeah. So when we think about is witchcraft real? Can they actually do stuff? The real question is, will God allow any of it? Yeah. That's, what we, that's what we should be worried about. Let's just pretend for a moment that witch doctors really do have power in the spiritual realm to make things happen. And what, what does that do for me? Does that mean I go, oh, no, they have power, so now I don't believe God? <laughs> that's not the right reaction. Even if they do have power, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So at the end of the day, I'm still going to fear God and say, well, God, if they do have power, protect me. Oh, yes. See, at the worst, that's what I do. But, but Balaam is telling us here, listen, there's nothing I can do. I have no power outside of what God allows me to have. So keep reading. He says, how shall I curse whom whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Come on down to verse number 19. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So if God has already said, this is the blessing, this is the protection I'm giving you, this is the grace, then the witch doctor has no, there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. Now, now think though, let's go a little further. We're going to get deep tonight, so I hope that's all right with you guys, but think with me. Do you know in the Bible that sometimes when God wants to punish people, what he does is he stands back and says, Satan, help yourself. And this is where some people say, well, witchcraft, you know, can it affect you? It can have some effect on you if you're afraid of it. And if God wants to allow people to destroy themselves because they deserve it, because God has offered them light, they have rejected light again and again, they have chosen to fear their ancestors, they've chosen to listen to unclean spirits, they've chosen to reject truth, God says, listen, I have tried multiple times to get your attention. You're not listening. All I need to do to punish you is step back, hide my face, and let you guys be afraid of this nonsense. That, now, God, you can read in the Bible where God does that. Yeah? I'm going to take this one step further. Can the witch doctor do anything to you? Well, according to Balaam, he cannot go beyond the boundaries that God sets for him. Okay? What about the devil? I mean, let's not deal with the little guys, these witch doctors, the little witch doctor keys. Let's not talk about them. Let's let's get right to the top dog. What about Satan himself? If Satan wanted to step into your life and say, cursed, and make everything go wrong, can he do that at any time? Let's come to the book of Job and see if he can. Job chapter 1. Let's get Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 6, Job 1, 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. You guys, wrap your head around that thought. This is a, the scene is up in heaven. The angels have presented themselves before the Lord. I don't know if this is roll call or, you know, Monday morning business meeting, I don't know. But Satan pops in amongst them. Verse 7, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord started this. Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Folks, you tell me, what does he walk up and down in the earth seeking to do? To devour, right? He, he's like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to curse you. That's, that's another way to say it, right? That's what he desires. Verse Eight, and the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? He hates evil, avoids it. God's starting this. God said, hey, Satan, I know you're looking for people to destroy. Um, Have you considered my servant Job? Look how much he loves me. In verse number nine, then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? He says, yes, God, I know that Job fears you, but the reason he fears you is because he's not afraid of you taking anything away. You just keep blessing him over and over. It's either me or him. I I can out-preach him any day, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Verse number 10. Now, Satan continues, "Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. You see what accusation Satan is bringing against Job. He says the reason Job loves you is because God, you keep giving him everything. Everything goes right for him. And you got this hedge about him. The devil is acknowledging that there are barriers that he cannot transverse. He, he can't go across them. So he says in verse 11, here comes the challenge, but put forth thine hand now. Catch that. The devil says to God, put forth thine hand. God, you put forth your hand and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. God, you put forth your hand, you touch it. Look what God does. Verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. That's how God stretched out his hand. He said, okay. What I'll do is I'll pull back the hedge. I'll take down the barrier. And everything that was going so well in his life is going to fall to pieces. He Satan, it's in your power. You can do as you please in his life. But the Lord set boundaries. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. He didn't even say, yes, sir, or okay. He just ran out. Ooh, off he goes. God help you if that ever happens. Do you realize what a compliment that is if it does? Oh, man. You say, I was trying to serve God, love God, and everything just fell to pieces. God, why would you let that happen? Because that's the greatest compliment God can give a human being. To say, devil, he'll love me even if things aren't going right. Oh, what a compliment. Verse 20, everything's falling to pieces. You guys know the story, right? Job loses Everything. Ten children die in one day. He loses camels, oxen, donk, everything. Servants, everything falls to pieces. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. He didn't say, God, you did something wrong. Job knew at this point, I don't have all the facts. I can't, I can't make that accusation against God. Verse twi- uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Not much, not much has changed. He's still trying to... Devour, verse 3, and the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? (laughs) You'd think the Lord would back off a little bit, (laughs) but the Lord's trying to prove a point. My people will love me, and it's not based on the physical blessings I give them. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Well, now the Lord says, Satan, you moved me to destroy him. But what did God do? All God did was pull back and say, Satan, he's under your power. Do you see how the Lord can sometimes punish people or bring about calamities destruction, problems in a person's life just by giving the devil free reign for five minutes. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. The devil said, yeah, okay. You got me on that one, Lord, but uh, you and I both know as long as a man is healthy, He's happy you let me take his health he'll curse you to your face skin for skin yea all that a man hath will he give for his life well verse number 6 the Lord said unto Satan behold he is in thine hand I don't know about you that that sends shivers up my spine God please don't say that about me (laughs) behold he is in thine hand but save his life do you see the new boundary God says "All right." Chapter 1, touch his stuff, don't touch him. Chapter 2, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. You can, take, you, can, you can affect his body, but you can't kill it. Now, do you see the boundaries? Not even Satan can step over the line that God draws. So the idea that, that Satan can just come in and do whatever he wants in your life, no, I'm sorry, that's not the case. Furthermore, furthermore, let me point this out. This situation of Job was not arbitrary. You understand what I mean by that? It's not as if the Lord blindly just said, all right, Satan, pick anyone you want and go bother them. This was conditional. It was based on Job's very good conduct. Likewise, you read in the New Testament, if somebody is sinning and sinning and sinning, a Christian, mind you, and not repenting, You know what we're supposed to do about it as a church? 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. We pray and deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see how that works? All right, so the, the devil can't go beyond. The boundaries are there, but the Lord can certainly allow the devil or use the devil to bring about a punishment, but it's conditional. God's not just going to randomly allow horrible things to happen to you for absolutely no reason. Either it is a great compliment or it's a punishment that's meant to get you right with God. But it's conditional. All right, now let's come to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. Let's get verses 2 and 3. Now we're still looking at, I want to say, a broader view or a more general view of just curses, curses in general in the Bible. This is an excellent verse to deal with this. Proverbs 26, verse 2. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. So Solomon actually uses like a contrast here. He looks around at the birds flying in the air and he sees no specific reason for why the bird chooses the path he does. And this, now now science might have figured out some magnetic field that guides the birds to migrate and all of that, but just a natural man looking at how a bird flies, you wouldn't be able to detect a certain pattern. Why did he land on that branch and not that one? Why did the bird poop on my car and not yours? Why? It, it, it appeared for the bird, you can see in verse 2, he's wandering. A wanderer has no specific place to go. He's just going from place to place randomly. Solomon says that is exactly the opposite of how a curse works. The curse causeless shall not come. So you're not just going to have a, a curse just randomly, poop hit you, and now you look up and God says, yeah, sorry, I just decided to be mean to you. That, that, that's not going to happen. Now, bear in mind, a curse is one thing. A curse is God allowing something in, in, intentionally to happen in your life. Accidents do happen. Accidents do happen. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 and 12 tells us that time and chance happeneth to them all. Sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's it. And it's not a punishment from God. Say, how can I tell the difference? When something bad happens, ask him. God, did you allow this to happen? Did you allow Satan to do something in my life to get my attention? Are you trying to teach me something? And if it is him trying to teach you something, it is a punishment, he will tell you. Now, he may not answer you right away, but he will eventually tell you. Say, how do I know that? The book of Job. God God eventually showed up and said, Job, here's what the whole thing was about, right? And since he wasn't guilty of anything, God rewarded him double. So God always balances this out in the end. But do understand that a curse and an accident are two different things. Verse 3, you can see a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. He's talking about punishments. And he says, The curse causeless shall not come. So if there's something going on and it is a punishment, you deserve it. There's a reason for that. Now, come to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Time precludes me from reading the entire chapter with you. However, if you want to understand blessings and cursings a little better... This whole chapter is about it, every verse. Now, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Let's get that right. He's not speaking to just an individual here, talking to the nation. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it shall come to pass, if thou, now he uses thou, that's like a yay. He he uses that, but he's speaking to one singular nation. So he refers to them in that singular form. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. you see how it's national? Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee, and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God do you see how it's conditional you have to be obedient as a nation and if the nation is obedient here's what they can expect verse 3 blessed in the city blessed in the field verse 4 fruit of thy body fruit of the ground fruit of the cattle verse 5 the basket the store everything's blessed you see that verses 1 to 14 if you obey I will bless Verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Look at the end of the chapter. Do you see how long that part is? That's the part about curses. <laughs> God knows they're not going to be obedient. <laughs> he knows. He says, All right, we're going to talk longer about what's going to affect you the most. Now, just if you want to do some more studying later on, read Leviticus chapter 26. It go, it's like a sister chapter to this. It also talks about how God is going to punish the nation and so forth. But Deuteronomy 28, let's get verse 15. Verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou will, uh, will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed in the city, the field, the basket, the store. You can see it's the same list, but the other side of the coin. Now you're going to be cursed. This is how God deals with the nation. When they go wicked throw the word of God behind their back and say, we will do it our way. We will do it the way that all the other nations around us are doing it. God says, this is what you can expect. Now, that's, he's talking to Israel, okay? Let's be honest, he's not talking to just a bunch of Gentiles here. However, I see nothing anywhere in the scripture that would make me think God deals with the Gentiles in a different manner. If they are working to be an upright nation, God will bless them as a nation. If they start to go away from God as a nation, sink into paganism and sin, then God will also bring the curses upon them. There are examples of this in the Old Testament. Nineveh, right? God gave them a chance. They repent. There's there's Gentiles. God gave them a chance. They did repent. And God had mercy. Then they went back to their old ways. And God cursed them, wiped them out. So we do know that there's, there's a precedent set here for how God operates. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We are looking here at the Ten Commandments. And God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And this particular commandment is about graven images, not to make them or bow down to them. In verse 9, thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, plural, upon the children, plural, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Do you see that? Now, this is where people get the phrase and the idea, generational curses. And they say, because my great-great-grandpa did something wrong... God is visiting me and punishing me because of what great-great-grandpa did. And I don't know why, 99% of the time when people ask me about this, their great-great-grandpa was a mason. (laughs) And people always wonder, oh man, because of that, he's involved. You know, he's uh, he's linked in there. So maybe I'm feeling the effects of that. That's one of those exit ramps we're not gonna take tonight. (laughs) This isn't a lesson about masonry. But... They are afraid that because of what happened three or four generations ago, God's going to hold it against them. And then they turn to this type of a verse. Guys, this is how God deals with the nation. With a nation. I'm going to show you in just a moment what he does with individuals. Completely different. But what you will see here And you can see this in the life of David. You can see it throughout the book of 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. David one time was suffering a famine. He was in the fourth year of a seven-year famine. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 21, David prayed and said, God, why are we suffering the famine? And God said, because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. But man, that happened almost 40 years ago. He says, that's why you're suffering this. Do you remember how Israel got Saul as their king? They'd gone through 450 years of judges. And then they said, we don't want God's law or God's man to rule us. Give us a king like all the nations. And God said, okay, I'll give you what you deserve. And he gave them the king as a punishment. He allowed their politics to sink horribly, and that was a punishment because they rejected truth, they rejected God. So could it be that what we are experiencing now is because of what happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago in South Africa? Could it be? I think we have to at least acknowledge that as a society, not as individuals, but as a society, we are being affected because this generation has yet to acknowledge and repent what those Previous generations did as being horribly wicked. Proper biblical repentance, and trust me, brother, you ain't seen it. Proper biblical repentance, you can't shut the church service down. The people won't go home. Real biblical repentance, trust me, you don't want it. Brother Jack Wood used to preach this all the time. He'd say, bless God, you don't want revival. (laughs) They'd invite him to preach a revival. He'd come to the church and say, you don't want revival. You don't know what a revival would cost you. He said, man, you people got right with God. That man over there would have to apologize to that man over there, and everybody would have to confess their sins, and you don't want to do that. (laughs) He's telling some truth there. When the Ninevites repented as a nation, Jonah chapter 3, remember how it looked? They dressed their dogs in sackcloth. You ain't never seen that. Come on, man. You ain't never seen that. You ain't never seen that. You ain't repented like that. Man, people getting serious. Not five minutes at an altar, which I'm not against that. That's a good start. But back in the day... First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening there in America in the 1700s, 1800s. When those things were going on, guys, the meeting would start and five weeks later it would stop. That's what I'll say, you couldn't get them to go home. You couldn't get rid of them. These men would show up and preach for, they'd preach seven, eight hours in the day, have different preachers throughout the day and then they'd pray and sing through the night and that meeting would go on and on and these men would go from town to town and revival broke out. But that was real Repentance. We haven't seen that happen here. I appreciate Angus Buchan. I do. I don't agree with everything he says and teaches, but I appreciate his heart. And I appreciate him organizing a prayer meeting. Praise God. I appreciate the idea that it's time, but brother, it's been time and it's still time. (laughs) It was time long before he said it's time. And one prayer meeting with a million burs showing up and praying is not going to fix this nation. That's a wonderful gesture, but that's not biblical national repentance. Not even close. That's just a very nice outward gesture. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Man, I took that exit ramp, started preaching, I'm sorry. Back to the lesson. Deuteronomy 24 verse 16. Now, I want to show you, I'm trying to do this Smartly, I'm showing you the verses in Deuteronomy. This is a verse about individual punishment. And then I'm going to take you to another place and show you more about the national judgment. But I, while we're in Deuteronomy, I want you to see it. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Now watch the end of it. Every man, that's individual. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Individually, you're only responsible for what you did. If great-great-grandpa was a mason, that's his problem. And he will answer for that at the judgment. See? Individually, that's how it works. Now, you're going to see more of that in just a a moment. Let's come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 14. And I want to show you the three ways that God often punishes a nation. Jeremiah chapter 14. Let's get verse number 12. Now, Israel had pushed it too far. They, they had turned down God's offer of mercy so many times that God said, enough's enough. I've already given you your last chance. Your iniquities are now full. There's nothing you can do to stop the punishment. I am going to destroy you. It got so bad that God told Jeremiah, don't even pray for these people. It won't, I won't listen. It doesn't matter if you were Moses or Samuel, because Moses and Samuel prayed and God had mercy. He says, "I don't even if those guys prayed, I wouldn't listen. That's how far gone these people were. Now, if you're interested, I, I, I challenge you to go home and read your Bible and compare what the nation of Israel was doing with what South Africa is doing, just to see where we're at. Interesting study. Verse 12, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they, nation, when they offer burnt offering and an oblation, I will not accept them, but I will consume them, three things, by the sword, that's a war, by the famine, droughts, all of that is included in there, and by the pestilence, that is an epidemic, a disease that's widespread, something like AIDS spreading throughout a nation just just to thin out the population. Now, you've all heard the phrase collateral damage. Yes, you've heard that. That is when, when some, something massive, some massive destruction like an earthquake or a tornado or hurricane hits. You, or even I, I think maybe a war would be a better example. A bomb gets dropped in a certain place and it is intended to kill let's say 50 people in a building. But then there's an innocent guy walking by. Wrong place, wrong time and the bomb gets him too. They call that man collateral damage. God acknowledges that when he puts a punishment or allows a punishment to come on a nation, there is collateral damage. God is aware of that. He is aware of that. Uh, Take your Bible, turn to Ezekiel chapter 21. Hold Jeremiah, we'll be right back. Ezekiel chapter 21. Ezekiel 21, verse number 3. Ezekiel 21, 3. And say to the land of Israel, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, and will draw forth my sword out of his sheath, and will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked. Wait a minute, God, why would you do that? Because that, it's collateral damage. There's a war coming, and innocent people are going to die. It's not that God wants that to happen, but he knows that that is part of giving a, ju- a judgment to a general population. Sometimes an innocent man will catch a disease. He didn't do anything wrong, but it's just part of being in a fallen, cursed society. Verse 4, Seeing then that I will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked, therefore shall my sword go forth out of a sheaf against all flesh from the south to the north, that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn forth my sword out of a sheaf. It shall not return anymore why would God allow this to happen because the nation has been going on in their sin for so long God has to make a statement now what about the individual who is collateral damage the innocent man that got cut off the righteous man that got killed in war but he wasn't guilty of doing anything wicked then personally when he stands before God at the judgment God recompenses that man He says, I know you as an individual were innocent. I saw that, I get that. And therefore, I will make this right. We have that over and over in the scripture. Even in the book of Job, now God didn't say this, but I believe it was Job saying it. He said, God will laugh at the trial of the innocent. If the innocent man says, how dare you, God? Why did you let that happen? God will say, (laughs) come on, man. You're not gonna accuse me of doing anything wrong. I didn't have to give you life to begin with. And you don't know how I'm going to treat you now. I'm going to make it right. You haven't seen the end of the Lord yet. See, so God's not going to, you're not going to be able to point the finger and say you did something wrong. God can make it right even in the next life. Come back to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. We're coming down the home stretch for those of you watching the watch. Jeremiah 18 and verse number one. Now, we're still looking at a nation and how God deals with them. Jeremiah 18, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. So now, God has brought Jeremiah to the potter's house and is giving him a real-life sermon illustration. So watch the potter work. Do you see how the, the clay got messed up and the potter had to start over? The clay is the nation of Israel. The potter is the, is the father. In verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O oh, house of Israel, nation, Cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Now watch verse 7 careful. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced Turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. God says, You change your mind, I'll change mine. Simple as that. So if this generation is feeling the effects of what happened a hundred years ago or fifty years ago, if this generation would cry out to God and say, God, they were wrong, we've been wrong, we are sorry. And genuinely make it right. You understand in the Bible, real repentance that comes from godly sorrow, there is a clearing of yourself. You have to prove, you have to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. It's more than just words. You have to prove that you're sorry. Now, if a nation were to do that, then God would say, okay, I'll pull back on the judgment. I'll reverse it. Verse uh, verse number 9. Verse 9, and at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Do you see how it's conditional? This isn't an unconditional election. It's conditional. It depends on what you do with what God said. Now, notice also in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, God said, if I... Speak concerning a nation. He didn't say, if I speak concerning the nation of Israel. This applies to any nation. That's how he works with the nations. Let's come to Ezekiel again, chapter 18. He said, Brother Mike, how can we get South Africa to that sort of repentance? One soul at a time. One sinner at a time. That's how you do it. Say, let's rent a tent, have a big meeting, have good music. Guys, you can try that if you'd like. But many people have. I'll tell you the best advice I was ever given. Draw a circle. Step inside the circle. And say, God, please revive everything inside the circle. (laughs) And don't move until it's done. And once once that's right, then go get somebody else and bring them into that circle. One at a time. One at a time. Ezekiel 18, verse number 1. Ezekiel 18, one. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? That's a catchy little proverb. So the, the dad eats something that doesn't taste good, and the son says, Ew. <laughs> Verse 3, as I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, individual, so also the soul of the Son, individual, is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Doesn't that sound like Deuteronomy twenty-four sixteen? Then he goes on, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way down. He says, this is what I would consider a, a man this is what I would consider a just man to be like. A righteous man would do these things. And if a wicked man repents and does them, I will grant him life and so forth. Come down to verse 19. Yet say ye, why? Why, why God, why do you do it that way? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? God, if my grandpa was a mason, aren't you gonna punish me? That's what they're asking. When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Individually, that's how it works. Now, if you want to see how God balances this, Go home tonight and read Jeremiah chapter 38 and 39. You'll read there about a guy named Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech or Ebed-Melech. Jeremiah, the prophet, got thrown in a dungeon and Ebed-Melech went to the king and got Jeremiah pulled up out of the dungeon. You know what God said to Ebed-Melech? When Jeremiah came out, he said, Jeremiah, tell that man that even though the nation is going down, I'm gonna protect him because he helped you. Do you see how in the midst of the nation getting punished, God can give an individual special protection? Such such a situation can occur. Do you see how God can do? God, God, he's he's ambidextrous. (laughs) Punish a nation with the right hand, protect an individual with the left. He can do both. Now let's come to Galatians chapter 3. Let's finish up over here. Galatians chapter 3. You know, people get worried sometimes when other spiritually pretending people come around and talk about speaking death or they're going to pronounce a curse on you. You guys probably, you've probably been cursed more than you know. Because if if any of you drive, you've been cursed. Oh, people have cursed you. You just didn't hear it, right? But if if someone walks up to you today and says, Hey, man, go to H-E-Double Hockey Sticks. Does that mean you're going there? See? He's speaking death on me. He just told me to go to Hades. (laughs) Just because he says it doesn't mean I am. Now, listen, if you dress it up and make it all spiritual and spooky, something's come to me. You're cursed. And then people get nervous and go, whoa, but... Just because he said it, so what? Why, why? Why should that have any bearing over you? I'll tell you, there is a curse you need to worry about. The Bible says in John three verse thirty-six, "He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him." That's a curse. That's a curse. Now, if someone yells at you in traffic or walks up to you in the mall and says, go to hell, brush it off, walk away, hand him a gospel track. Say, I can't. I'm saved. <laughs> it's a great chance to witness. <laughs> now, if it's, if it's a random person, oh, well. But when someone stands up with the Bible and says, thus saith the Lord, you're on your way to hell. Now listen, if he can show you that in the Bible, that's a curse you need to pay attention to. Galatians 3, verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you are trying to save your soul... By doing the best you can to keep the commandments, the law, you're under a curse. Why? And then he quotes the Old Testament. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Deuteronomy 27. So if you've broken the law, you now deserve to be punished. You cannot expect any sort of eternal blessing. You cannot expect a blessed life now walking with God. You cannot enjoy those spiritual blessings in Christ. Why? Because you are trusting your own righteousness. You have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible has pronounced that God must punish you. You are under the wrath of God. If you're not saved tonight... Friend, this is a real curse. Here's how it ends up. You stand before God at the judgment one day and he says, depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire. That's a real curse. Coming from the one that can curse you. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. He quotes another verse. Verse 12, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. So if you're going to say, My faith and trust is in the law and my keeping of it, then that means you have to keep the whole thing in order to gain yourself life. So since you can't keep the whole law, don't put your faith and trust in your own righteousness and in yourself. Take your faith out of that. Put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. I told you I'd get there before the night's over. Verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. There we are. We're right back where we ought to be, at the foot of the cross, looking up at Jesus, hanging there. He became the curse. He carried our sins in his body He took on all of the wrath of God, the full weight of our sins, all of the punishment we deserved. He felt that. He took that on the cross. And anyone that comes to Christ and says, I can't save myself, please. I I have to have you as my Savior. You're the only one that can save me because you're the only one that paid for my sins. Then you're no longer under the curse. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What was the blessing of Abraham? God promised Abraham that through him, through Abraham, he would bless all the nations. What is the fulfillment of that Abrahamic promise? Jesus Christ. So if you want to get out from underneath that curse and get in on the blessing that comes from knowing Christ, he says if you do that, you come through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he's offering you a personal relationship. He's offering you eternal life paid for at the cross of Calvary. So this, if there's any curse you need to know about and you need to fix, this is the serious one that you really have to pay attention to. All right. I hope that's answered some questions for you. Let's all stand if you would. Time is gone, so I'm just going to say if you have any further questions, you're welcome to come and ask me privately. but let's stand, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. and can I ask you to search your heart just for a moment, Caleb, if you can play something softly. It will not take long, but I just want to ask if possibly someone is here and they've never been saved. You have just seen where you're under the curse and and, and God has pronounced it. God pronounced it. That's serious. Now if you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you would I beg you please please tonight would you do that? We may not be able to get the whole nation to repent but we can get you as an individual you can draw the circle and step inside and say god make everything in the circle right If you're here tonight you've never been saved I'd like to pray for you Now listen I can't save you but I can ask god to show you whatever you need to see so that tonight you can genuinely receive Christ. Would anybody be willing to just slip their hand up and say, preacher, pray for me? I, this whole time I've been trusting myself. Thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you. This whole time I thought, I thought I just had to do the best I could and it would be enough. But tonight I realize I can't keep the law. I'll never be good enough. I want to trust Jesus Christ tonight as my Savior. Now, a couple hands have gone up. Anybody else say, Preacher, pray for me. I appreciate the honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Here's how it works. From the bottom of your heart, talk to God right now. You, talk to God right now. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I deserve to be punished. But I don't want to. I don't want to be punished. I believe Jesus died for me and paid for my sins. And right now, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. Would you ask Him to save you now? He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you do that now? In just a moment I'll pray and close the service we're going to be busy breaking down the church but if tonight you ask Christ to save you would you do me a favor would you, would you just come shake my hand after the service say preacher I got saved tonight I would just like to know who I'm praying for would you do that Father thank you tonight for allowing us this time to search the scriptures Lord I want to draw a circle around this pulpit please God revive everything in, inside the circle make it what you want it to be show me, show me Lord what else needs to change Lord I want to make you happy you, you deserve the best Father I want to pray for these hands that went up please God save those souls tonight don't let them go home without Jesus Christ dwelling in their hearts oh God please help them thank you father for meeting with us today thank you for the time to turn our eyes upon Jesus in his name we pray amen amen